Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called A Tale of Two Realities. It's a guest essay by Art Amon, the former director of the Pediatric Immunology and Clinical Research Center at the University of California Medical Center in San Francisco. Back in 1982, Amon documented the first cases of AIDS transmission from mother to infant, and also the first blood transfusion AIDS patients. Later, in 1998, he founded Global Strategies for HIV Prevention, where today he ministers around the world. With a special focus on women and children, Global Strategies implements international strategies to prevent HIV infection and to work toward a generation free of HIV. A Tale of Two Realities, a guest essay by Art Amon for Sunday, December 1st, 2013, the first Sunday in Advent, and World AIDS Day. There are times when I read the Psalms that I feel like I'm catapulted between two different realities. Consider these two examples. First, Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. On the other hand, there's psalms like Psalm 10. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. Your laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears, no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he lies in wait. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed, they collapse, they fall under his strength. 
he says to himself, God will never notice. He covers his face and never sees. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked man. Call the evildoer to account for his wickedness that would not otherwise be found out. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. On the one hand, Psalm 122 speaks of a world of hope and peace. It begins, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that's closely compacted together. That's where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. Psalm 10, on the other hand, describes the harsh reality that stems from those who suffer poverty, instability, and oppression, causing them to face seemingly insurmountable obstacles and with no place of refuge. Thus, Psalm 10 begins not with rejoicing or hope or even the option of traveling to a city where the name of God is praised. Instead, it begins with questions. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In a sense, the people of Psalm 122 know where God lives, whereas the people of Psalm 10 are not certain. The two psalms also differ in how they end. Psalm 122 conveys optimism, that peace and security may be present where people live, and that there can be confidence in saying, Peace be within you, and I will seek your prosperity. But Psalm 10 is more tentative, as if the people are still pleading with God to hear the cries of the afflicted, to encourage them, to defend the fatherless and the oppressed, and to eventually defeat those who terrorize. This year, the theme of World AIDS Day, an annual event, is getting to zero. Zero new HIV infections, zero discrimination, zero AIDS-related deaths. It's meant to call attention to the magnitude of the global HIV epidemic. The psalmists would have been more cautious if they had written the World AIDS Day theme. Undoubtedly, they would have recognized the extraordinary progress that has been made in controlling the epidemic. But they also would have recognized that there's uncertainty even in the most desirable of goals. 
And thus the subjective sense of the word may, and even Psalm 122, may there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. And certainly the reality of Psalm 10 would be acknowledged, especially for women and children in the most impoverished regions of the world who continue to be infected with HIV against their will and who have little to no access to treatment 25 years after the first treatment for HIV was discovered. The psalmist perhaps would have asked, why do public health officials stand far off? Why do they hide themselves from us in our times of trouble? It's necessary for us to acknowledge the two realities spoken of in Psalm 122, in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 10, and how they affect our beliefs, whether spiritual, political, or social. As we enjoy our world of more tangible and hopeful outcomes in peace and health, we must not forget that there's a world that is deeply troubling, where peace and hope are more difficult to achieve. And yet, as the psalmist writes, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. What is so incredible about what we believe is that God is present in all circumstances, offering a refuge to all who are in need. A Tale of Two Realities, a guest essay by Dr. Art Amon. For books this week, I review a title called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. The author is Susan Kane. New York, Crown Books, 2012, 333 pages. American culture privileges what Susan Cain calls the extrovert ideal. Whether hyping yourself on a college application or in a job interview, it's the man of action rather than the man of contemplation whom society honors. Introverts, about a third to half of the population, are treated like second-class citizens, says Kane, and their personality traits are considered somewhere between a disappointment and a pathology. Extroverts are thought to be not only more successful, but even better people. Her book tries to correct this mistake. Carl Jung popularized the terms introvert and extrovert back in 1921. Kane admits to what she calls definitional complexity. Some of us are even ambiverts with a little of both traits. The categories aren't as neat and clean as some people make them. There are also many different and complex kinds of each type not to mention other factors like family of origin that make us who we are. Some psychologists even reject the idea of fixed personality traits. 
But despite these important concessions, most of us agree that there are, in fact, introverts and extroverts. I know our family has one of each. Kane combines insights from scientific studies and personal stories to make her point. She visits places like a Tony Robbins seminar, Unleash the Power, Harvard Business School, and Rick Warren's Saddleback Megachurch in Southern California, all of which, despite their extreme differences, are based upon the extrovert ideal. She explores how our neurobiology hardwires our temperaments, whether and how our choices might override our predispositions, how to communicate with people of the opposite type, and how to cultivate introverted kids in an extroverted world. One of her most interesting chapters was on Asian culture, which privileges the quiet and compliant introvert. In the end, the key takeaway of this important book is a newfound sense of entitlement to be yourself. Once again, the author Susan Cain, C-A-I-N, in the title of her book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World that Can't Stop Talking. For movies this week, I review a title called Spark, A Burning Man Story, from 2013. This documentary film traces the history and growing pains of the annual one-week event that transforms the Black Rock Desert in Nevada into a city of 60,000 people. Founded in 1996, Burning Man, a reference to the ritual burning of a wooden effigy at the end of the event, is many things to different people. It's an art festival, a party, theme camps, and a celebration of radical self-expression. I like the description of a community that prioritizes so-called social capital. Burning Man is also famous for its so-called Ten Principles. The film follows three artists as they prepare massive projects for the 2012 event. But all this anarchy now requires a sophisticated bureaucracy including a year-round staff of 50 people in San Francisco, and a lottery for tickets that were once free but now cost $400. The film ends with a note that similar Burning Man events now take place in 50 places around the world. I watched this film on Comcast Streaming. Spark! A Burning Man Story. And finally, for poetry on the first Sunday in Advent, we've posted a favorite poem, a very powerful poem and confession by the Jesuit renegade priest and peace activist Daniel Berrigan, who was born in 1921. It's called Advent Credo. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. This is true. I have come that they may have life, and that abundantly. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word, and that war and destruction rule forever. This is true. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Prince of Peace. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. This is true. To me is given authority in heaven and on earth, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the world. It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church, before we can be peacemakers. This is true. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall have dreams. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. This is true. The hour comes, and it is now, that the true worshipers shall worship God in spirit and in truth. So let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, December 1st, 2013, the first Sunday in Advent. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.